Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome to another uh, episode of Sword and Shield. This is Chief Master Sergeant Howard, uh, Superintendent of the 960th COG, and today with me... Colonel Rick Erich. I guess this is a uh, wing commander guy now. Yes, sir. Congratulations on the selection uh, to be our wing commander. You know, it's exciting. Um, and actually, that leads us into the subject of today's podcast. Um, you know, we want to welcome aboard officially as the uh, the wing commander. So congrats and, and uh, welcome aboard, sir. Uh, and uh, the question that's out there is... Uh, how did you get here, right? So I was wondering if you could kind of give us an idea of, um, you know, a little bit about your career and what brought you to uh, the 960th. Sure. Well, that's a little bit of a loaded question, I think, because I'm not sure I know exactly how I got here. And I don't know if I could replicate that path. Uh, what I do know is that a lot of people took care of me along the way. And um, I, I learned early on to put my nose down to the grindstone, work hard. And then um, I was told people to take care of me. And that was kind of maybe the old school method. I didn't really ask for a lot of help. I was told right. what I needed to do and what jobs to pursue and kind of what I need to get after my life. And I took that advice and um, and, and and try to make those decisions and, and try to have some personal goals and seeing how those kind of fit together and just kind of follow the path where it took me. And, you know, I didn't I didn't necessarily set out being a second lieutenant saying I want to be a wing commander. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you, was this one of your goals that you had early on in your career, or was it just um, one of those moments that the opportunity arose and good vectoring led you to to the doorstep of that decision? So I've shared some of this with some folks here and there, but when I was a captain, um, probably had captain on two years, I was on Reg AF, I was at Charleston Air Force Base, and um, I was... I was uh, Starting to feel good about my abilities, you know, six, seven years in, I kind of feel like I was figuring stuff out. And then I saw the, you know, you know, for us in support field at the time, mission support group commander was kind of the pinnacle. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I want to be a mission support group commander at some point. And then I saw the MSG at the wing be replaced by uh, a flight soon wearing person. And um, that was medically, you know, couldn't fly anymore. And I thought... Is that I mean, what what are my real opportunities here? Are, right. are we always going to have um, a non-support person in a mission support group? And that so I started kind of thinking about that. And then when I had the chance to transition to the reserve several years later, um, I found it was a different in the reserve that almost every mission support group commander I saw was somebody that grew up in that community, or at least had crossed over and right. had some technical background in one of the competencies inside the mission support group right good point right so you want to have some of that uh, that skill set there for leadership you know i know that's what we do on the enlisted side um so you you, you talk about uh how you saw regaf right and how some of those changes and um you've been in comm for a number of years now uh, how would you say that the comm cyber changes happened and, and some of your uh perspectives on that so I think it's uh, a little been a little bit forced, um, okay. you know, by leadership. It's not been super smooth or easy, and 
growing up in the personnel community, you see a lot of personnelists end up in really key jobs. And I think the value of comm is, is not maybe been in the past has not been seen as a real true mission support group kind of competency. Okay. And, but I see that changing as, as we've moved and started using the word cyber and doing a better job in our community of talking about what we're bringing to the fight every day. Uh, I've, I've seen that elevated. And I think seeing the evolution of the 960th from an idea back in 2012, 13, Right. to move into a detachment, to a group, and now to a wing, obviously, has, has, uh, has risen to the point where people understand the value that we bring. And um, it took, I mean, if you talk to Ricky Bobby and some of those folks at the beginning, it really took them um, a lot, a lot of hard work to get people to realize what, what, some, what an organization like this could be. And, and once that organization started to get some traction and there was talk about it, maybe it turning into a wing in the future, that's when I got excited about, hey, I want to continue this path. Maybe there's an opportunity in the future for me you know, to be uh, to be wing commander. And, and like Colonel Jones said, change command, right? This is probably our only chance um, to be a wing commander um, as a true cyber person in the reserve, right? There's, there's only one wing. Timing's got to work out right. And you got to be at the right time. And Right. The right place. Yeah. And, you know, we have made some uh, paradigm shifts, right? We, we talk about calm, you know, at least uh, some of us uh, older hats around here, you know, the, what they call the gray hairs uh, on occasion um, of where calm was much more support. But as we look at our groups now, they say operations. So we've we've made a huge shift from being a support entity to an operations entity. What's your view on that, sir? Yeah, I think that's right. So in my mind, we talk about, um, or at least I think about, um, that move from IT to operations. And so I think there's a bit of a transition in there where we called it IT operations. Right. And so um, trying to bucketize things, at least in my mind, is um, IT is more infrastructure and, and support to the mission where operations is actually what you do. And we're conducting operations using that infrastructure and, and through an IP space to, uh, to create effects whether that's defensive, offensive, whether that's gray space, red space, blue space, whatever, whatever that is. And I think that's helped with our, um, with our other operations folks understand that uh, being on keyboard is just like anybody else creating effects, either kinetically or not kinetically in some of those other career fields. Right. Yes. Uh, so with cyber being one of those key domains, it is interesting. Um, and I was wondering if you could help me uh, understand it from your perspective of uh, how does the cyber domain interact with the other domains that we discuss when we talk about land, talk about sea, talk about air, and even space. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? We've had these debates for years about what's a domain and is, is cyber its own um, but if but but if you think about it, and the way I think about it is, um, we use cyber, and we being everybody uses cyber in every domain. Right. So um, I don't necessarily want to debate whether it's its own domain or not, but every of our physical domains need cyber and use cyber. So um, you know, you talk about space, right? Space it can enable any operations without cyber. And right. That's how they're conducting their ops. So it's really interesting if you think about how integral we are to all the missions, especially when you start talking about fifth gen airplanes becoming, you know, a flying router um, right. in the air and, and using that to conduct kinetic and non-kinetic information operations. 
which I think is probably going to be kind of the next iteration of where we go is, uh, is, is using the data and information um, to make the enemy, you know, behave differently. Right. Now, you know, you spurred some thought there. Um, it almost seems like um, cyber is almost the nervous system of all of our, our domains, right? It, it's that key piece that makes each piece work um, or, you know, helps enable uh, that muscle or that, that mu muscle movement uh, through that cyber domain. So. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. So, you know, you think about maybe like the heart's pumping bloods through your veins throughout your whole body. Right. You know, you know, cyber in IT is really maybe that that heart that's pumping the blood to all parts of the body to enable that muscle group or that function in your body to actually right. work. So, you know, it, it's, it's definitely an exciting time, uh, you know, because we're really still in the infancy of, of this paradigm shift from being uh, calm as a support to cyber being operations. Um, being the, the new wing commander, uh, what do you see our role as a wing going forward in that transition? Sure. So I think a lot about um, where I want to where I want to be and where I want the wing to be when this is over, whenever this time frame is over, what I want that to look like. And I think it's important to posture the wing in a position to be successful in the future. And what that looks like, um, I don't know. I know we have a demand signal for a number of different missions. We got to figure out what's really good mission for us and, and posture in a position for us to take advantage of the way we participate as reservists and compelling and relevant missions across the space and that we're relevant to our partners. And then when, when they need something, they think of us first and they call, Hey, we want the reserve unit that does this to do this. Like we want to be that first call ghostbusters that, that they want us to come in and take care of uh, whatever they need to take care of and cleaned up. Right. It's definitely, it's when we ask that question, who are you going to call? It's going to be, 960 is cyber wing, right? Yeah, that's what we want. Um, we want to call the gladiators. Yes, definitely. Right? And um, we got to kind of fight through that. There, there's a number of, some of them are distractions. Um, and, and I think we need, we're, we're going to have to work hard within our own command and AFRC to help our senior leaders understand where we fit in the big picture, okay. what you know, what advantages and disadvantages there are to mission change and whether or not we need to grow. And there's a lot of discussion in general Borgen. Um, you know, he talks a lot about, we want to, he, he, he wants to grow in ISR space and cyber, the growth areas he sees. Gotcha. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean overall end strength to us, but it just means right. growing and maturing into those missions that, um, that are needed, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Right. And when we talk about growth, maturity, we also, and without actually saying the word you, you, you put it out there, that flexibility, right? So as these missions uh, changes, cyber changes, um, we're going to have to have a lot of flexibility uh, to adjust. So we'll see some some expanding missions, right? And some reduction in other missions uh, going forward. Is there any vision that you um, want us to kind of aim towards uh, over the next few months uh, as we start to develop out what that's going to look like, sir? Yeah, so we talk, you know, in in my mind, I talk about short term, midterm, and kind of long term things. And I think short term is we need to do some analysis and defining uh, where the opportunities are, and where our challenges are, and frankly, um, work within the corporate structures of our organizations, meaning AFRC and RegAF side, about where they want us, where they need us, and document those. And I think short term wise, that's what we really need to focus on: understand the landscape, right? 
And then mid to long term is we need to start the planning processes um, in order to realize what that is. And then use the word flexible. And that's not normally what we associate. Um, it's just Rick Ears talking about yeah. <laughs> not a um, representative of the government, but uh, headquarters AFRC is not known for being super flexible and agile from a corporate process process. And that's by design. Right. And so that's that's designed so that we so we don't chase these flash in the pan missions that the REGAF wants us to fill very significant, um, critical, maybe short term gaps. So we don't chase that and then get stuck in a mission. So there's a reason for that. But we've got to try to find some sort of a balance that allows us to move at the speed that our REGAF partners need us right. and mission that's going to be um, lasting as well and enduring. Now, some good points. I, I kind of go back to my old comm days, you know, back in the 90s um, and early 2000s. You know, we used to run by AFI 21116. That was our, our uh, Bible of how we ran things. I'd say that uh, we were prepping ourselves back then about some of those flexibilities within COM when we started changing out some some of the appendixes, right? So the chapter nine was specifically talked about COTS, commercial off the shelf. So we had that first paradigm shift of understanding that uh, the old uh, mill spec equipment, which was great, um, wasn't meeting the uh, turnaround demand of technology of the day. So that changed it going from having to have mill spec to commercial off the shelf. And I see that that pace is picking up. So when we get to cyber, it almost seems that we have to be flexible to meet the demand of our customer set um, and to meet the adversary in the right space at the right time. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, about yeah, that? so I think that's a great point, right? Our adversaries can iterate much faster than us. Certainly, um, the, uh, the international code and law of cyber, um, some countries take it more seriously than others, right? right? And, just, and just the way you can conduct operations with anonymity is is difficult for us and we try to do everything above board and we try to do everything with we feel like is in accordance with international law our adversaries don't have to do that they don't worry about it and this domain if if, if we're going to agree that it's a domain but um using cyber to create influence and shape behaviors super easy to do from an adversary perspective right and um, and we need to be able to be agile enough to counter that through um, innovation, through letting decisions be made by airmen at the lowest levels, and then having good solid TTPs uh, to, to counter those effects in real time. And I know that's what the REGAF, specifically in the 688th Cyber Wing, is they're really working hard at creating an organizational structure that allows that to happen real time, industry standard. And, and, and I think that helps us if we go that route. And you mentioned MILSPEC, and I remember those days where you know, we had uh, the the BAMs and the TDC equipment, and right. everything kind of moves um, moves at a different pace. And now, when we start to move more to industry standards, industry training, um, having that available to us is is a lot easier. It allows us to get people trained. However, comes at a cost. Right. And I think that's going to be one of our biggest challenges here: is what can we afford to do, and how do we how do we pair that with a capability that we can afford. As well, no, and I think that puts a, a good challenge to the airmen within the 960th Cyber Wing or any airman that's within the Cyber Mission Set. Right? Is um, you know how do you take the resources that we have on hand, um, whether that's uh, actual equipment, whether that's uh, fiscally um, constraints or whatever, and then um, 
do the most with it. Is there any challenges that you might want to put out to, to your airmen uh, to, to meet that demand, sir? Yeah. So I know we, we use the word innovate all the time and I think you can innovate in the way we think, right? Innovation always doesn't have to be a widget or a gadget that we want to do. It's, it's maybe the way we think and the way we participate. And, and so we've seen some of that already. I know some of the folks at JFHQ Cyber are doing some really great things um, from an innovation space that they're just allowed to think differently about a problem. And 16th Air Force is, is trying to change this mentality of that they want to solve problems and create outcomes from those problems. Right. And so if we think about it from that aspect, what problems are you facing? We need to give them opportunities to solve those problems in a way where if it drives a resource bill, that there's there's an easy way for them to bring that to a leadership decision point. And, and then we make a resource decision based on um, that COA. But just the way we think, we got we to do a better job of giving our airmen an opportunity to think differently about problems. No, good point, sir. So I was wanting to take a couple of the, the, the pieces that you've already put out there where we were talking about um, some of the... Uh, the the flexibility for for thought right the uh, the agile uh, changes that we're going to need in cyber and I think that you've you've helped prep some of that as the the vice wing commander uh, with our priorities and our priority champions um, is that was that the intent there uh, with um, with the priorities yes for sure so uh, you know I wanted that to be organic and I wanted the airmen to really figure out what's important to them and then try to shape that into something that is applicable across the wing. And, and I think given, uh, given responsibility to people as objective owners and goal owners is really an opportunity for them to help solve those problems much differently than what you and I could sit up here. Certainly you and I could sit up here and we could solve every problem that we right. think would be the right way to do it. Right. But, a tactical piece we may be missing, right? So if uh, one of our um, objective owners, uh, goal owners, um, or even a priority uh, champion out there um, was looking for some advice to how to be successful, do you have any um, advice on how they could uh, tackle these problems and then be successful? Sure, yeah. I think there's a number of things that you can do. Um, and so some of the things that I think about quite often are attitude and effort. I, I really think those are probably almost the only two things you can really truly control as a human being control right. how you approach a problem and what kind of effort you put behind it. And so thinking about that from that perspective, how to solve a problem is uh, really attack it with, with hard work and have good attitude about it. And that will bring people, you know, together to help right. you solve the problem. So you don't have to do it on your own. Um, I think communication is, is critical to that communicating up, down, sideways, um, and creating a, a space where people want to communicate and bring ideas in, obviously, is really going to be helpful to solving problems. And then, then empowerment is important to me, too. And that's what I tried to do with the party champions is, is just give some space, give them some um, broad intent, and then let them get after an area. And I feel really comfortable that we, that we ended up with a really good solution. Uh, we may not have nailed everything, but I think we're addressing problems that we need to solve. And we've done that in some other ways, too, by just putting people on orders like the travel voucher problem, right? Um, we try to be a little bit deliberate for that at first and create the cyber lock and um, try to force people into it. And it. It wasn't organic enough. It didn't really help. And then we put certain dealmen on orders and, you know, we kind of backed off and said, here's the problem statement. Go solve it. She was able to figure out a way to get it done. 
And she put, she had a good, great attitude about it. And she really got after it from hard work. She communicated with everybody and we gave her that space to do it. And now she's interacting with Lieutenant Colonels uh, on the regaf side to solve problems. And, right. and they're calling, asking for her, right? Yes. It doesn't need to come to you or I to solve these problems. No. And um, that's really important, I think. And then relationships. Um, obviously, we can't do this alone. And, and being able to create a relationship that's meaningful and lasting really helps um, kind of really helps the team energize and uh, solve that problem. You bring that, that term team up and it makes me think about a conversation we recently had with uh, Colonel Janicki and Colonel Aslan as they've uh, stood up to, to be uh, leaders at the group level. Right. And um, you know, one of the themes that uh, was brought up in those conversations, I think it was with Colonel Janicki was um, team sports um, and then how to build teams and how that works together. What a lot of people probably don't know about you is your love for team sports. So I was wondering if um, tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe some of your thoughts on on how uh, uh, teams work, sir. Sure. So I think uh, tying back into the beginning, you asked about how I got here. I think that the being a team sport athlete um, probably gave me the background and thought process to make me successful, not knowing it way back then. And uh, because I think you can replicate through team sports a number of problems that we see in the workplace. And, uh, you know, if you talk about just relationships, being able to communicate, building trust, attitude and effort. I mean, I still quote some of these things. I can hear my coaches now saying, we're not going to be the best team talent wise, but we're going to be in shape the best out of anybody in the league, you know. And um, just ingraining that over and over again, that hard work, I think, translates really nicely to what we do in the military and and kind of what we expect. I expect people to work hard. I expect you to um, build trust. And and over and over again, you see it translate really nicely into military operational success. And and just listen to some folks that have separated or retired. What do they tell you that they miss? The team team. team cohesiveness, right? That, That family feeling. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do that other ways and you can't be a right. good teammate because uh, you didn't play team sports. Not saying that at all. Um, but being part of something is really important, whether that's right. a club activity, a group of people. And I know we do that differently now than, you know, than I yeah, grew up. Has. And <laughs> I, I played three team sports and then was with when I got with my buddies together. All we did was sports and activities. That's what we did. My kids are different. Right. But they're still teaming. When they're playing video games and I still force them to do at least one team sport just for that, just to get those experiences. Right. Agreed. There's some key pieces that you just uh, wouldn't learn otherwise. And again, like you said, it doesn't mean that you have to be uh, part of a team sport, but there's definitely some lessons that uh, that provides at an early age. You you talk about coaches um, quotes. The thing that always rings in my head uh, from uh, back in uh, high school and uh, team sports with my coach. Like if you're not training, your opponent is right. And, and that still goes today. If we're not practicing, if we're not training uh, here um, and prepping for uh, being on the battlefield, um, I can guarantee that our, our enemy is uh, every day and maybe twice a day. Right. Yeah. So it's least, absolutely correct. I mean, that translates. Yes, absolutely. What we do. Right. Um, and one thing I'd like to highlight too, if, if I can, sir, is that, um, you know, leadership, when we talk about developing leadership, we talk about how the, they're, they're kind of setting the tone. But uh, leadership in a team, 
is not always uh, being at the top. It's how do we balance out those those relationships, as you pointed out, how do we communicate what those expectations is as, as the captain of, of that team, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes it is, you know, being the rah-rah guy or gal up in front of the team trying to get them excited. Sometimes it's pulling somebody aside and saying, hey, you know, we need more out of you. Like, right. I need you to step up. Teams count on you, you know, to do this function or that function. Um, maybe it's going to the guy in charge, the coach. Or, or maybe if you're not the leader, formal leader, you go to the formal leader and say, hey, this is happening. Like, we need your help here. Or maybe it's just stepping out of the way. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know what? Time for me to step aside. Time for somebody else to lead because they're better at it. And right. just getting out of the way and supporting them. Right. And I think that helps with the identifying some talents uh, and then also uh, expertise in certain areas. Right. Um, the challenge there is um, I think that uh, me personally, looking back into my history, uh, that staff tech sergeant, right, where you're feeling like a, I'm confident in what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be the knowledgeable one. I'm supposed to be the one that leading. And then uh, learning that lesson of leadership is not necessarily by dragging everybody with you or getting your way. It's uh, about uh, identifying that uh, airman so-and-so and sergeant so-and-so might have a little bit more expertise here. How about I just let them take the reins and then facilitate uh, some of the other barriers? Yeah, I tell this story about when I was the comm squadron commander um, in Minneapolis, and we went to Global Medic, Fort McCoy. Took the team down there, TDC equipment, doing some RF shots, uh, multiple Army units, Army 06s running all over, um, guard units in. It's just kind of chaos. And uh, I went down there the first couple of days with the team, um, got oriented, make sure they had what they needed. I went to the Army 06 in charge. I said, hey, sir, I'm out. I was a major at the time. I said, heading back. My team's got it. Whatever you need, they're right here. I introduced them to Eric, and uh, Eric was a senior. Okay. And I said, Colonel, Eric's going to be in charge. He's senior airman. He looked. He said, how many stripes is that? And I said, well, sir, that's an E4. He's got it. He's our team lead. And standing next to him was a tech sergeant and a staff sergeant. And he said, you're major, and you're not going to be here in charge. And I said, nope. Said he's got it. Trust me. But here's my phone number. Here's my email. Here's how they get a hold of me. Just trust me. They got it. Right. And then uh, at the end, I drove back for the um, outbrief, and he was like, "Man, we want Eric back. Like <laughs> we want Eric back next year. Yeah. You know to run it." And that uh, that just said, I mean, for him as a Reg F Army dude, he didn't get it. He right. thought leaders had to wear rank. And uh, that's not the case, especially, I think, with us, because he was bringing all this industry experience right. and he had this regaf experience and he had this kind of commanding leadership, calming presence that uh, he could solve any problem. And his teammates knew. It. Right. And but and he knew his role as a senior airman. Maybe he couldn't go to the colonel and say, hey, there's an issue here. Right. But he would prep up, um, you know, the I'll, I'll call her Leslie. Who is who is the raking person at the time, and she would go do the talking. But reality, he was the dude that was running thing, and everybody knew that. Right. And so it was really fun to see that happen. Right. No, and as in the leader, I think that that highlights a, a good piece of leadership there too, sir. Right. So um, you may be the formal leader, you may have the rank, um, but when it comes to certain processes or portions of events, I use expeditionary com as a good example, uh, and then my space expeditionary uh, experience. Um, you have different portions in prep for that mission. You have the uh, the planning cycle. So your logistics individuals, they are working through that. So again, they're the expert. They're going to tell us how we're going to get things from point A to point B in a case. 
then we get down on the ground and then we start setting up the site, you know, and then that the, the equipment experts are the ones that are going to set that up. And then we all prep it up to even having the deployment commander. Deployment commander doesn't have to be there. Um, the ranking uh, NCO isn't the one that's telling you, I need things from point A to point B, and this is how you're going to do it necessarily, right? Uh, they're hitting that expertise across that whole team to then come to the point where now we're fully operational. They're handing over that site to the, uh, the deployment commander and saying, here you go, sir, ma'am. This is your site, and here we go. And it, uh, it took all of those, those small pockets of leadership and development to get us from um, all our gear in a warehouse somewhere to out in the field, fully set up and ready to execute that mission. Yeah, I think um, it's probably not always been like like that, but no. I think in space and cyber and maybe some other crew fields too, that it really can happen where, where the person that is the expert is the leader right. and they're the one doing it the right way. Right. right. Not being, um, oftentimes I talk to civilian people and they're like, well, you just give orders all the time. I'm like, well, that's not what leadership is about. Right. It's right. about putting people in the right places to be successful. And that's really what I want to focus on is, is try to be that screen, that front door, um, and, and get rid of the chaff and create clear paths for people to be successful and organization to be successful overall. We need everybody to be in the right spot. On the bus, the bus is going the same direction. So we're all on the same bus. We're all in the seats. And sometimes, sometimes I'll lead from, I'll be driving the bus. Sometimes I'll be sitting in the back of my feet up, throwing spitballs at people. And sometimes I'll be in the middle. Sometimes I won't be on the bus. Gotcha. And then I'm going to try to navigate those times when it's time to do that for other people. Because I think we all need to be thinking about, you know, who's the next Chief Howard? Who's the next Rick Erich? Right. And we, we have to be... Um, we have to be prepping them for that opportunity when it comes. Yes, sir. Some, uh, that's a good uh, good analogy. It's kind of funny. You know, I, I kind of think of National Lampoon's uh, summer vacation uh, more so, but uh, some good things. That's that's one version, right? Yes, that, that might have been – there's there's probably some leadership lessons from you know, Chevy Chase in there. Definitely sure. a lot, right? Don't leave at least to the bumper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bad, bad idea. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't want to take up all your day, sir, as uh, we uh, – we get through this, you know, there's a lot of things that still needs to be done every day, but is there anything you might want to, to leave uh, your airman with, uh, with this particular podcast? Well, I think, uh, um, we need diversity of thought. And I think with diversity of thought, um, there's a lot of ways to get after that. We're going to try to figure out how to do that, but I'm really going to try to work hard to provide the resources you need, um, the leadership that we need and the engagement uh, above wing level to make sure that, um, again, we're going to stay relevant, whatever our missions are, and that we find the right spaces to grow and continue the maturity. I mean, you think about it, we're still less than two years as a wing. Right. And we got a lot of gaps and seams that we need to try to fix. And we're going to try to just be very deliberate in how we do those and, and methodical. And um, we're trying going to try not to run. But I have this overall sense that, you know, I want, I want the wing to run now right. from the crawl walk run phase. Um, and I feel like we're really close. We got the, we got a lot of good leaders in place. We got to continue to grow people and um, clear the path for the airmen to do the job and, sure. and get after it. No, I, I, I get the same sense, right? That uh, we're on the, the precipice of, of running. I, I can kind of feel it like you're on the starting line and ready to go. <laughs> um, that's awesome, sir. Um, I know that I just would like to take the opportunity to thank all our airmen uh, for their dedication to the mission and uh, dedication to their country. 
and that uh, I hope that uh, everything's going well for them uh, during uh, this time with COVID and everything. Yeah, sure. And I understand, you know, life's hard and um, there's a lot of, I talk about this a lot, but there's a lot of other things people could do. You know, sure. America's a great place and you don't have to come in on Saturday and Sunday in order to have a great life, but, right. you know, but our airmen are doing that. And so we're going to thank them and make sure, thank their families and make sure that, uh, you know, they know we got their back and we're after it. And we need, we're, we know we're not perfect. We know we got a lot of things we need to, we need to fix, but it's just not going to be Rick Erge and Chris Howard fixing them. Right. And so we need everybody to take ownership of the problems and, and create those outcomes that impact everybody in the league. And people step up and take advantage of opportunities, solve problems.